Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. John chapter 11, verses 17 to 37. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he, who opened the eyes of the blind man, have kept this man from dying? Paul, thank you very much indeed. Let me uh, add my own welcome to that of Pete's earlier, especially if you are here for the first time. Uh, Students, welcome. Uh, But anybody else who's here, uh, you're very, very welcome indeed. Do please keep your Bibles open Uh, at uh, page 1078 that we've just had the Bible reading uh, from Paul there. And uh, you might also find it very useful if you look at the back of the the, the blue service order, you'll see I've put on the back there uh, an outline of where we're going in the next few moments. I think you'll find it helpful to have both Bible and that to hand. And as we um, turn to the Bible, let me pray now for us. Jesus wept. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we think of those words, that we would uh, see something of the uh, wonder, the glory of you, our God, and the one who stoops down very low, that when we cry to you, you hear our voice and wipe away our tears. In Jesus' name, amen. The, uh, the death of a loved one causes a, a seismic shift in life. Death 
simply turns your world upside down. Quite, quite simply, life will never be the same again when someone close to you has died. Now, that's not to say you won't ever be happy again. It's, it's just that it won't ever be the same again. Eight and nine years ago, my mum and dad died within a year of each other. And now, while I don't think about them every day, I did initially, uh, still not many weeks go by without me missing them. Death changes life forever. And the pain of bereavement is either comforted or exacerbated by the response of the people around us. It seems to me there are two great problems we have when talking to the bereaved. Either saying the wrong thing or saying nothing at all. Indeed, sometimes we say nothing at all because we fear saying the wrong thing. But you see the two problems. In trying to comfort, our words can be clumsy and insensitive and hurtful. So people say things like, well, they had a good innings. Well, look, my nana was 97 when she died, just three runs away from a century. But despite reaching a ripe old age, my dad still missed her terribly. And telling my dad that Nana had a good innings didn't help him at all. It just sounded as if he was being told to accept her death and not make a fuss. Of course, there are many other things we say like that. Words that, rather than soothing, end up stinging. And for that reason, many people avoid saying anything at all. And that hurts even more. One mum told me that following the sudden death of her baby... When she took her older children to school, other mums would avoid eye contact and some would cross the street when they saw her coming towards them. For all sorts of reasons, they couldn't face talking to someone who'd lost a baby and because they didn't know what to say, they avoided her. A few weeks after I'd taken the funeral of a man, I went to see his widow. As we sat drinking tea, she said to me, in the days leading up to the funeral, I had lots of lovely cards of sympathy and I felt really loved and cared for and supported. But now already, less people are in touch. I understand that people need to get on with their lives, she said. But the thing is, even when I do see people, they don't ask me about Len. They don't seem to want to talk about him. But it's still so raw, she said. His parting is the only thing I think about. Over the years, I've heard similar stories of people avoiding the subject. And I think it's because face to face with death, we don't know what to say. And we don't want to put our foot in it. So we either avoid contact altogether, or when we are in touch, because we don't want to upset the person, we avoid the subject altogether. But that avoidance really hurts. Well, look, in our Bible reading today, we see Jesus face to face with a bereaved woman. And in him, we see the perfect response in bereavement. I hope you've still got your Bible open at chapter 11 of John. In in the last two weeks, we've worked through the first 27 verses of the chapter. Many of you have only just arrived in Sheffield. so, So let me show you where we've got to so far. Sisters, Mary and Martha, along with their brother Lazarus, lived in a town called Bethany, just a couple of miles outside Jerusalem. Lazarus, the brother, fell seriously ill, and so Mary and Martha, the sisters, got word to Jesus and asked him to come and heal their brother. You can see that in verse 3, just a backer page, if you've got the same Bible as me, page 1077. Verse 3, the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. 
Now there's loads in that verse that we mustn't miss. Uh, The relationship between Mary, Martha, Lazarus and Jesus was very close. Jesus loved them and they loved Jesus. John actually reinforces that point. He makes the point in verse 2 and in verse 5 as well as in verse 3. But they not only had this mutual love... Mary, Martha, and I guess Lazarus believed that Jesus had the power to heal. You can see that in verse 3 as well. See, by this point in John's Gospel, Jesus had healed the son of a royal official who was very close to death, and he'd also given sight to a man who was blind from birth. Jesus has done the most miraculous things. So here in verse 3 are Mary and Martha saying to Jesus, you've healed complete strangers, so please come and heal Lazarus, someone you know and love. Surprisingly, verse 6, Jesus didn't go immediately to the town of Bethany to heal Lazarus. If you want to think about why that was, you can listen online to the sermon from a couple of weeks ago. But for now, know that by the time Jesus did arrive in the town of Bethany, Lazarus had already died. We see that in verse 17 over the page, page 1078. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And so as Jesus neared the town, one of the sisters, Martha, heard that Jesus was on his way and she went out of the town to meet him. And last week we saw how Jesus engaged with Martha. And so we come to verse 28. Martha has just made the most extraordinary statement of belief. Verse 27, yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And after she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. See, having spent some time with Martha, Jesus sent Martha back home to her sister Mary to to ask um, Mary to go out to see him. And verse 29, when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at a place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who'd been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. You can picture the scene. Mary rushed out of the house to Jesus and a whole bunch of friends and family who'd gathered around Mary to support her followed along. And then verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. We saw this last week. Mary said precisely the same thing to Jesus that Martha did when she first saw Jesus. You see it back in verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Now here it is again, this time from Mary in verse 32. It's a statement of regret. We thought about this last week. If only you'd been here, Jesus, Lazarus would not have died. If only. The two sisters felt exactly the same way. They expressed precisely the same frustration. But while these two sisters say the same thing as they mourn the same brother, Jesus responds to them quite differently. Last week we saw how Jesus helped Martha to see who he was. Jesus said to Martha, verse 25... I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? That's what Jesus said to Martha. But with Mary, Mary on her knees before Jesus, this time Jesus is practically speechless. All we hear from Jesus is a simple question in verse 34 about where Lazarus has been buried. Apart from that question, all we see from Jesus is raw emotion 
Verse 33. When Jesus saw Mary weeping, and the Jews who'd come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Here we see, and this is our first point on the back of the, uh, uh, the service order there, the compassion of Jesus. The strength of Jesus' response is very telling. Do you see it there uh, in verse 33? He was deeply moved. Anyone who's ever been bereaved will know that, that kind of sickening, gut-wrenching, awful feeling of devastating loss in the pit of your stomach. It's that strange mix of numbness and yet not numb at all, overwhelming agony. Jesus felt that. He was deeply moved. It speaks, that word speaks of him being indignant, of even being angry. As he saw the pain that death caused Mary and those around her, as he witnessed them sobbing, he, it moved him. Jesus is furious with the impact death has on people. He feels deeply for those suffering in bereavement. I I guess most of you here have been to a funeral. And I can imagine that many of you have been to a funeral and seen the family in bits. And as you've seen them hurting, it's crushed, crushed you to see them in such pain. Jesus felt that. And so verse 35, Jesus wept. See, death is a terrible thing and in Jesus we see here that we are not meant to brush it aside. We are certainly not meant to explain it away. We're not meant to kind of hold it all together. A couple of weeks ago I quoted from a poem by Henry Scott Holland. I said then, I often come across this poem when I take funerals. Families ask me to include it in the service. It goes like this, it'll come up on the screen. Death is nothing at all, it does not count. I've only slipped away into the next room, nothing has happened. Everything remains exactly as it was. I am I and you are you. And the old life that we lived so fondly together is untouched, unchanged. Whatever we were to each other, that we still are. As I said a couple of weeks ago, when I'm asked to include that in a funeral service, I gently refuse because it's just not true. When someone dies... Everything does not remain exactly as it was and anybody who's been bereaved knows that. The old life we live so fondly together is not untouched and unchanged. It's changed forever. At death, everything changes. Life will never be the same again. We simply cannot say that death is nothing at all. Thanks, you can take that down now. We can't say that death is nothing at all. And Jesus doesn't. He is deeply moved as he sees the pain and suffering that death has caused Mary and those mourning alongside her. And he weeps with them. See what he doesn't say? He doesn't say, don't cry. He doesn't say, oh, well, he had a good innings. Interestingly, he doesn't even say, he's in a better place now. He feels the pain and he weeps. And here's the surprise. In just a few moments' time, in no less than nine verses that we'll see next week, Jesus will raise Lazarus from the dead. 
Jesus has the answer to the problem of death. Jesus is the answer to the problem of death. He is the resurrection and the life. And Jesus is about to raise Lazarus from the grave. And so I'd have expected a quite different response here. Indeed, if I had the ability to resurrect the dead, and if I'd been in Jesus' shoes, I'd have said to Mary and the others sobbing alongside her, don't cry, it's okay. Just watch this. And then I'd have taken them all to the cemetery and with a big smile on my face, I'd have called Lazarus out of the grave. And as Lazarus shuffled out with his grave clothes wrapped around him, I'd have said, ta-da! That's not Jesus' response at all. It's intriguing. Jesus has the answer to death and yet he feels the utter devastation of it. And look, it's not just that he feels the pain of others. That is the case in verse 33. See, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who'd come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and trouble. So it is that he sees other people deeply moved and that affects him. But there's something more. Jesus is actually angry with death itself. We see that in verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. See, it's the same expression, deeply moved. This time, not because people were mourning, but because he's in the place of death. He's at the tomb. For Jesus, death is an intruder in this world. Death is not just the cycle of life. It's not just what we should expect. It's not just a part of life and we should put up with it. No, no, no. No, death is the result of sin. Not just the sin of any individual, you understand, but death is the result of a world that has rebelled against God. You can see this back in Genesis chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4. Everything's going well, Genesis 1 and 2. Chapter 3, we rebel against God. And chapter 3 and 4, death comes into the world. And so in Romans, we're told the wages of sin is death. It's the payment for sin. And so as we encounter death, we are face to face with sin undiluted. Death shows me the effects of sin in its most concentrated form. Sin robs me of life because sin separates me from the source of life. And when I'm cut off from God, I will stop living as surely as when I'm cut off from an air supply, I will stop breathing. See, death is the result of sin. And so as Jesus looked at death, he was outraged by it. Even though he had the answer to it, he hated it. And so should we. I've been ordained for more than 28 years now. And in that time, I have taken hundreds of funerals. But I never get used to it. And I don't ever want to get used to it. I don't ever want to take a funeral and look at the coffin and then look at the mourners in agony and simply sail through it unmoved. I don't want to do that just because I've encountered it so many times before. I want to feel the pain every time I come across death. And so I do feel the pain. And every time I take a funeral, I don't mind telling you, I am emotionally wasted by the end of it. When Jesus, the most loving and complete person who ever walked this planet, when Jesus encountered death, he wept outwardly and he was torn up inside. Christian, don't settle for the popular lines. Don't, don't respond to the death of a 97-year-old as someone who had a good innings. Shame she didn't make it to 100, not out. Shame she didn't get a telegram from the Queen, but hey, she had a lot more years than most. No. 
And while I love the film The Lion King, don't believe the narrative that death, death is just all a part of the cycle of life. Just get used to it. It's what happens. No, death is wrong. Be outraged by it. Can I say to the English here, probably most of us, please don't be emotionally suffocated by the cultural atmosphere that tells you to put on the stiff upper lip and not show your emotions and don't cry. That might be British, but it is not Christian. We may call it dignified or brave, but it's not being fully human. Jesus wept. Don't be English about death. Don't be brave, as people say. And when you face death, don't be persuaded by all the other comments we hear. You know, what do people say? Oh, you shouldn't waste your time in sorrow. It won't change anything. Or the person who died wouldn't want you to, wouldn't want you to be sad. They just want you to get on with life. And none of that is right. And can I say to all those who are committed Christians here, I am concerned that there is a school of thought that when you are mourning a loved one, you should hold it all together. That you shouldn't cry, that you should only speak of your hope in the resurrection. That is to be more spiritual than Jesus. Look at the response of those who watched Jesus weep. Verse 35. Jesus wept, verse 36. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. See the point? Weeping, sobbing, showing our raw emotions demonstrates our love. Do you see how not crying publicly can suggest that you don't really care? Now look, as I say that, I know that some people have never been able to cry after the death of a loved one and I know there are people who feel guilty about that. You need help with that and we want to help you. Speak to me afterwards if that's you. That's not what I'm talking about here. That is not totally unusual, but that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm concerned about the supposedly Christian approach to death and funerals that is super spiritual, refusing to cry, fighting back the tears, so that when you ask a bereaved Christian how they're doing, they respond, I'm rejoicing, brother, because she's with the Lord now. I can't be sad because he's in a better place now. Well, look, of course, if the Christian gospel doesn't give us that confidence of life beyond the grave, then I haven't understood it. And if the Christian gospel is not a reason for great hope and comfort, then there's something wrong. But do you see, as we look at Jesus, if that's the only response, we are seriously wrong. In just a few moments' time after this, Jesus was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, and yet he wept at the pain of death. You and I then, when we're separated from a loved one for, well, however long, until we die or until uh, the Lord returns, we should show emotions when death crashes into our world because the separation is going to be even longer. Death is terrible. It causes the most immense pain. It separates loving relationships. It's the result of living in a fallen world. It's not natural. It should leave us feeling gutted and devastated and we should show that. Jesus wept. And his response says something powerful about the way we should respond when we meet others who've been bereaved. Weep with people. A week after my mum died, someone I knew well and who knew that my mum had died saw me in the church office, spoke to me about a work-related matter and they didn't even mention my bereavement. And I was screaming inside, don't you know that my world has been turned upside down? 
can't you understand the only thing I'm thinking about is my mum? Now look, I can guess why he didn't say anything to me. I can guess that he either didn't know what to say or he didn't want to say something that would cause me to then get upset. But let me tell you, it is far more upsetting for people not to acknowledge your loss than for their words to cause you to cry. If you're thinking to yourself, I don't know what to say, then look at Jesus with Mary. He didn't avoid her. He asked to see her. And when he saw her, he was practically speechless. All he did was weep with her. When meeting with the bereaved, it's not complicated. Tell them that you're sorry for their loss. Ask them how they're doing. And then if it's appropriate, cry with them. Jesus wept. The most complete human being who ever lived shows us how to respond in death. But this is not just about understanding how we should react in death. This is about seeing the glory of Jesus. And so from the compassion of Jesus to the glory of Jesus is much shorter because really they aren't two points, they're really one point. And the one point is this, the glory of Jesus is seen in the compassion of Jesus. See, last week as, as Jesus spoke to Martha, we saw how he told her, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life, he who believes in me will live even though he dies. When he was speaking to Martha, Jesus claimed to have the the glorious, mighty power of life over death. Next week, we'll see that wasn't just all talk. He did raise Lazarus from the dead. Martha needed to know that. So do we. Because without Jesus' resurrection, death will always have the last word. How reassuring it is to know that Jesus is the mighty God who has resurrection power. But this week with Mary, no words, just tears. Last week, the glorious power of God who can raise the dead. This week, the glorious compassion of God who weeps with the bereaved. Indeed, this is the glory of the one true God. He's not just powerful and mighty, able to defeat death, but loving and kind, and he stoops down to meet us in our greatest need. In this book by Tim Keller, Encounters with Jesus, he He writes this, imagine that you were making up a story about a divine figure who came to earth in disguise as a human being. In this story, this divine being arrives at the funeral of a friend, knowing that he has the power to raise his dead friend to life and that he's about to wipe away all the mourner's tears in the space of a few minutes. What would this person's most likely inner emotional state be? Surely you'd depict him as smiling, excited, even playful. You'd expect him to be rubbing his hands with anticipation, saying under his breath, wait until you all see what I'm about to do. Or perhaps you as the story writer would just keep him speaking in an elevated tone, I am the resurrection and the life. Both of those reactions would seem to be in character for someone who claims to be divine, but we would never imagine that such a divine person would get sucked into Mary's agony and just stand there weeping. Why would he be so strong one minute? And so vulnerable the next. The answer is because this isn't a made-up story. The answer is because this is what God is like. We have a God who cares deeply. A God who walked this earth and entered into our humanity and felt what we feel and showed that he is kind and loving and compassionate by weeping with Mary. 
As we uh, talked about this as a team on Wednesday, Sonia Crosley, part of the team here, who has vast experience of walking with people through the most painful events of life, Sonia said this, again and again, when people are reflecting on their experience of death, they've told me that when they are first bereaved, they don't have big theological questions about the sovereignty of God. All they need to know is that he is close, that he is with them. Wonderfully, this does tell us that he is close. And more than close, he feels your pain. More than that, he enters into your pain. He doesn't say to you, well, they had a good innings, or don't cry, or that's just the cycle of life, or you've just got to get on with life now. With Martha, he gives the reassurance of resurrection hope, and with Mary, he just weeps. To Martha, Jesus has given a ministry of truth. He says, listen to me, Martha. I'm the resurrection and I'm the life. I am the answer to your despair. I am the I am. I am the true God. And because Jesus in the resurrection, the life, is high enough, exalted enough to be able to take Martha to the stars to comfort her with the truth of resurrection life, a ministry of truth. But when he meets with Mary... He has a ministry of tears. He walked this life and he stooped low enough to step into her sorrow. And so with complete empathy and sincerity and integrity, Jesus shares her pain and he just weeps with her. Friends, this is our God. The one who has the glorious and awesome resurrection power to defeat death is the one who gloriously and compassionately weeps with us in death. Let's pray together. Our Lord and God, we can do nothing much more after seeing what you're like than sing praises to you and call out how great you are. What a kind, compassionate, loving, thoughtful God. It's wonderful that you're powerful. It's wonderful that you have power over death. But combine that with your wonderful tenderness it overwhelms us and so we come to you tonight saying thank you for who you are thank you for caring thank you for being the answer to the problem of death and our great comfort in death in Jesus name Amen